Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the TFC Audio Project. On today's show, I chat with James Dooner, and the topic of the session was to unpack the interdependence of the five pillars of health and to expand on the fact that each pillar affects every other pillar bidirectionally, so you can't really work on one in isolation with, and, and expect to be totally effective. James is a lead foot nerd for the Australia division of TFC. We had a great time riffing on this topic, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Balance Beams. A couple years back, we discovered the mental and physical benefits of balancing on a railing, and based on the demand, we created some pretty cool hardware that lets you have a railing to balance on wherever you are. Each beam comes with some basic software that teaches you um, a couple different movements and challenges that you can get started with, and we're going to be launching advanced software later this year to expand on that and give a broader array of movements and challenges to work towards. For more info, check out tfc-shop.com, click on the beam tab, and you can see the hardware options that we offer. We make them all in Canada to an obsessive level of quality. They're bulletproof. Um, you can make your own beam, but if you want something special, we've got stuff at TFC Shop. This episode is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC Head Office are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m., and this Canadian company provides a unique subscription service that delivers you three awesome coffees to your door each month. They give you the story behind each of the craft roasters that the coffees come from, and you can check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, and you'll get 7 bucks off your first month of any subscription, which is already super cheap to begin with, so it's good value if you're a coffee drinker. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases. They make badass cases, professional hard cases in Canada, um, and we use them to transport gear to and from our seminars and workshops. You can check out their stuff at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors. Let's dig into this episode. Uh, hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. It's a collective effort. Help people understand their bodies, starting at the feet or the gateway for people to see that there's an issue. You know, a foot conversation is always a whole body conversation. Hello, friends. Nick here, back for another episode of Health Conversations. And I'm back with James for our second podcast on the Aussie Tour uh, in, in January 2020. So we were having some good conversations talking about the five pillars of health. Uh, and one of, the, one of the threads that we kind of went down was how the interdependence of the five pillars, where you can't really take any of them in isolation and be fully effective if all you do is one, one of those pillars. Yeah. Right. Like we, we have this very reductionist view in health in general or medicine, and it kind of limits us from being able to see the big picture and being fully effective because we just deal with one part. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like physios for us, we're trained to deal with movement, injury, like movement to a degree. We right. don't actually learn that much about <laughs> we're, movement. We're trained but to diagnose and treat Yeah, pain. pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pain and injuries. Um, and then nutritionists, they're trained to look at food. Right. Um, no one really like talks psychologists, about psychologists, the mind, very few people talk about sleep. Um, yeah. and the, and this whole community thing is almost like something that people know of, but they're not really super aware of. Um, or, or it's hard to describe it with language and there's not, you know, social workers, like you said, but we were almost talking about like gyms are actually the community gyms, sports organizations. Um, those are kind of the community pillars that yeah. kind of fill that void. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So what we're going to do today, just to give you a visual, we wrote down the five pillars of health. So we wrote five words kind of in a circle, movement, food, community, the mind, and sleep. And then between each of the five pillars, we drew bi-directional arrows. So you have an arrow between movement and food, which goes both ways. And we're going to basically riff on how each pillar affects every other pillar. And those relationships are bi-directional. So we'll kind of go through it. We'll riff on it. And then at the end, we want to tie it all together and 
talk about kind of what was the whole impetus for doing this well it was trying to trying to expand the concept that to be fully effective even if you're a specialist you need to have a broad level understanding of all the other pillars to be fully effective at your specific pillar yep right you don't have to be an expert in everything but you should have the simple heuristics and the simple lifestyle changes that people can make um in order to be like 80 percent good in the other ones right like if they don't have some significant pathology they just have no awareness of how important sleep is you should be able to give them basic advice that a friend would give someone else and mm-hmm. not have to worry about it being within your silly scope of practice like yeah and so because the scope of practice thing is a misnomer because people like stay in your own lane don't treat things that you know that you're not trained to treat which is fair enough but right. If you're not even bringing that topic up, the fact that those other things are important or you don't have a base level understanding, then you don't know when to refer for expert help in that pillar. Yep. So, you're being ineffective if you don't have a good understanding of all of Exactly. And you're not being as effective as you could be with just a basic understanding. And put it this way, if you're a health professional, you should have a broad understanding of health anyway. And you should be practicing them all yourself. Not exactly. perfect with them all, but as a health professional, you should be have an awareness of them and be working on all five pillars, really. I agree. Okay, so we're going to kick this off. We're going to start with movement. Um, and I'll post a picture uh, kind of when I post this podcast going live because it might help to have a bit of a visual. But the first one we're going to start with is movement. How does movement affect food? So mm-hmm. maybe what we can do, why don't we do tic-tac-toe? So um, I'll say, how does movement affect food? And then you can ask me, how does movement affect community? And then one person will answer first, and then the other one will kind of chime in. Yeah. yeah so, so how does movement affect food? So we were talking about this before where like traditionally the movement that you do was the way that you would find the food that you eat. So right. in, in a hunter-gatherer, in like in a na- natural setting, hunter-gatherers, you need to move in order to find food. Yeah, so they were inseparable for a long time. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So, and I, we, we mentioned this on the last podcast as well, we don't have to do that anymore. We can literally sit in this room and tap our phones and food will come to our door uh, within <laughs> right. like 20 minutes, which, right. is, which is sick, but it just means we, do, we don't have to... But it's making us sick. Yeah, yeah, it's sick, but it's making us sick, yes. Yeah. Um, so I think we were chatting about the, like the, for instance, if you shop, if you tend to eat things like McDonald's or, or like fast food in general, you probably have to do like the least amount of movement. Right. Well, I'm getting in the I'm getting in the opposite direction. Aren't I? That's okay. Food That's to movement, okay. but either way, so say you eat fast food, you're mostly not moving really right. at all for your food. And then the next level would be like the the movement that you do to go to like a farm, like a maybe a grocery store. That's more movement, and then to a farmer's market, like you walk to a farmer's market. That's, right. That's uh, like a, a movement, and then a loaded carry back. That's what I try and do most weekends when I'm home. Um, or like even next level, like Andy growing his own food and plenty of people do, but Andy, we just had uh, his fresh grown potatoes and stuff the other day. Shout like out he, to Andy he, Bryant. Yeah. Solid guy. <laughs> Solid. Um, so he's growing his own food or like some of his own food in his house and that in itself is a movement. So Yeah, so your willingness to move in the form of growing your own food or the willingness to go um, to a farmer's market, yeah. which may not be as convenient, affects the food that you have available to you. Yes. I so think that's a, yeah. that's a good one. So that's the first level. And then the other one was um, like the more movement you do, generally the more appetite you have for right. food or... 
I'd, I'd say the more regulated appetite as well. Like, I think that's accurate too. Yeah. I think because it's almost like when you're, I don't know, when people get bored, they eat. That's yeah. another thing too. So if you're not moving a whole lot, then it sounds weird, but you haven't really earned the right to eat a bunch of food and yet you crave, you and go like to a hungrier. bunch of more yeah. food. Yeah, movement, it is weird. Lack of movement is a form of suffering and food is the biggest outlet people go to to soothe suffering. So that's True. almost... It's a stressor. Lack see, of we get way deeper a, on this than... We talked about this before to try and like just riff on points, but we never even mentioned that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> that's, that's our podcast for good. Uh, okay. So uh, movement affecting food, movement affecting community. Well, your movement, how much you move kind of sets the example for, for others around you, mm-hmm. right? So like, say for example, you have a family um, we can use the family as the most immediate community and everyone's always sedentary. And then you make a decision. You realize movement is good for the body and I'm going to move more. You can affect your immediate community, which is your family yep. to move more through your behaviors. Yep. Or you can affect, you know, for example, um, you're a mover, your community is more broad as a, as a physical therapist, or even as, um, you know, as a foot nerd, you have a group of people that look to you as kind of like a, a leader or a resource. So your movement, the quality of your movement mm-hmm. too, like if you do insane movements and James has, James is obsessed with movement. It's why he's the movement team leader and he's the, on the foot nerd program faculty as in the world of movement, because he's just obsessed with movement. And, but your movement affects your community your movement affects me because i'm like shit i gotta move more yeah. i gotta up my level of movement right <laughs> yeah true and i actually on essentially on that note uh and if you took it back again to like more of a natural setting the move your the movement capacity you have so all the skills whether it's um you know running jumping throwing building making tools all, all these movement skills is the is how valuable you are to your community, essentially. Mm, so, in order, yeah. So, if you want to hunt or gather food, you need to have the skills in order to do that or prepare food. Mm-hmm. So, the movement skill you have uh, affects how useful you can be in your community, and that still holds true today. Really, it's just I that agree. the a lot of the movement skills are uh, less. Uh, essential less essential but and they've changed a little bit where a, a skill a skill might be like touch typing right. on a computer right. <laughs> like that's still a movement skill yeah and it does affect how useful you can be but uh like this, musicians yeah, musicians we were talking yeah. about music yeah if you're a really good mover in the form of coordinated movement around a, a, an instrument yeah a musician then you can enter your, your community. community yeah right. yeah so that's that's a cool thing like yeah, the total amount of movement skills you have kind of represents how useful you can be and an easy example is just helping someone move their house like like change right. change house like <laughs> that's an Aussie term move people will be thinking like move houses. why are you physically moving <laughs> someone's house <laughs> yeah well yeah moving so the furniture moving the furniture yeah yeah, yeah. um because yeah, if you've got a good base of strength and and uh, skill when it comes to heavy lifting, then you can then you can help out, and it's it's a great feeling when you can help someone move. I agree. House. Next, <laughs> next up, movement and mind, and I think this one's a really simple one. The quality of your movement and and the regularity of your movement plays a huge role in how well your mind functions. Like we know this relationship. John Raddy uh, with Spark talks about this. There's a ton of research. If you're one of those research uh, people that need research to tell you obvious things, um, <laughs> that sounded kind of assholeish. But, um, but you know, the I think people can just realize like when you're sitting down and not doing anything, it's really hard for your brain to work at its optimal capacity. Yeah. Whereas, you know, we talk, we talk a lot about walking and how walking is this like sort of active idle where your brain is working but not so much and not with so much demand that it lets you have 
the space to think about creative things and, and the movement is actually what facilitates that. Yeah. And even when I take a phone call, like when I'm on an intense phone call, I have to move. Yeah. You, I, go, you go outside and walk, even if you're just pacing back and forth. Exactly. Cause my brain, I, it's just like something I made the connection. I was like, my brain works better when I move and I just have always moved when I'm on an intense topic mm. or intense call. Mm. I never, it wasn't intentional, but it was yeah. just. And if you get down to the level of like hormones and neurotransmitters and like brain derived neurotropic factor and those kinds of things like right. exercise. Endorphins. Induce, yeah. Endorphins. Yeah. It, your brain literally makes you high for <laughs> exercising and as moving. As a reward for As movement. a reward. Yeah. And that's why they talk about runners high. Yep. And like, I feel awesome when I get out and move. Like right. it's, I think, yeah, it's undis- indisputable. That, yeah. That, that's that, a simple yeah. one. Um, movement and sleep. So, you know, one thing we talk about in the seminar is that you have to kind of earn your sleep. Like you should be going to bed, um, fatigued, like physically, if you can go to bed physically exhausted, I, and people innately know this. So they have like a big day, they go on a hike, they go home, they sleep and they're like, that was an amazing sleep. Yeah. And they know that the day of, they're like, I'm going to sleep well tonight. Yeah. I'm going to sleep like, like a baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Waking up screaming every few hours. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not now. <laughs> respect, but yeah. Like a baby is like, a that's super, an old one. That's a misnomer. Yeah. But yeah, pe- people know you, you do a lot of physical work. You sleep better. Right. Yeah. You've earned your sleep. You go to bed yeah. with a, a, an empty battery and it's, it's time for sleep. Yeah. All right, so that does one cycle of how movement relates to all the other four pillars. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to food. So, uh, and we're just going in a clockwise fashion. Like I said, I'll post a picture of this. It'll be easier to, to get a visual, but just know that we're going to go through every pillar and how it affects every other pillar and their bi-directional relationships to each one. So, uh, food. How does food affect your community? Food and community. What, what do we say? I, well, I'm, I I'm in the, the zone of community to food. Yeah. yeah so, so, well, the food that you choose to eat yes, determines right. the, basically the landscape right. of what's available, yeah, right? If yeah, you yeah. choose to go to a farmer's market, then um, you're basically engineering your food landscape, your your food community to yeah. be what you voted for it to be with your dollars. Yeah. 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 And then I guess the like the quality and quantity and variety of food affects the health of your community as well. Right. So you're yeah. speaking just like your movement behaviors speak to your community and will influence them. Yeah. Your food behaviors. And like, if you go with a bunch of friends and they're like, let's go to McDonald's and you're like, ah, I feel like shit and McDonald's isn't real food. Let's go here. You're influencing your community through your food decisions. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. think that would fill that. Yeah. That bracket, uh, food in the mind. So food in the mind. So yeah, again, I mean, similar to movement, like the, the food you eat will change the or have an effect on the hormones uh, that are produced and the neurotransmitters that are produced. And, yep. so, and well, we know now that your guts, your gut yeah, is like the second yeah. brain and produces a massive amount of neurotransmitters and can have There's a, a massive effect on that. your food yeah. or on your um, on your mental health. Right. Kelly yes. Brogan talks about how the one of the easiest changes she makes with people with serious anxiety or depression is is like make tiny simple food choice uh food changes and many people improve drastically just by changing their food it's like yeah. their food is literally poisoning them and it's manifesting as mental health problems or yeah you know brain fog or whatever it might be so yeah. food definitely affects the mind yeah uh, on a physical level and i think on a belief level as well where if you if you uh, create an uh, uh, not an ideology but a set of beliefs around food that you like you believe that the food that you're eating is nourishing for you um, and you know will give you good energy and all but that's these kind things. of mind to food oh, tr- 
True. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. sorry yeah, I'm getting back. We'll get to it. <laughs> it's okay. too bi-directional. But yeah, I mean, yeah. that kind of speaks to like everything affects everything. Like yeah. it's not, these aren't, we're just doing this as a thought experiment to try and reduce this to simple bi-directional relationships. Yes. But the reality is like, it's a, it's all blurry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're going to come to that point once we'll we come get to that. through the circle. You yeah. got it. So that's food <laughs> to mind. Food to sleep. Well, one thing that we talked about is like coffee is food. It's a form of food. Yep. Right. It's a beverage, but yeah, yeah. we can lump that into food. Mm-hmm. Sugar is food. So if you eat, if you drink caffeine late in the day or you eat a shitload of sugar um, or you eat a massive meal yeah, you really close to bed, you're not going to sleep yeah. as well. So no. food definitely affects your sleep. Yeah. Uh, and then the last one with food is food and um, food mm. and movement. Yeah. It's a pretty obvious one. Well, food gives you the energy, like the, the raw uh, materials, I guess, to perform movements. Yep. And also you know with the right like you need protein for like muscle synthesis and or just right. as a building block for cell cellular repair and yeah just in general like you need food creates the raw ingredients for a lot of things including neurotransmitters including um things to be able to repair your tissues and if yeah. you're injured and you're not repairing your tissues because you're eating like shit all day yeah then you're not gonna be able to move because your, your body's not gonna repair itself it's basically energy and recovery right. to food and movement yeah exactly all right, so that was food as uh, in relation to all the pillars. Next one is community. So let's talk about how community affects the mind. And that's that's one that we've started to talk about in the seminar as well because if you lack a sense of community, like if knee pain is an indicator that there's a problem with your knee, a lot of mental health problems, whether it's anxiety or depression, are kind of like the signal you get to tell you that you've partially that you've been disconnected from your community. So if you have a good mm-hmm. community, sense of community, it lowers anxiety because you know you're supported. You know you have other people you can talk to, other people that will be around you. Yeah. Whereas if you have a, a very low sense of community or you're disconnected from your community, then your mind is kind of where it manifests itself. Yeah. That's like the canary in the coal mine. Yeah. And there's, I can't, I can't remember the exact research, but there's people who talk about how um, loneliness is a massive predictor for depression and suicide and right. all these things. So people who are disconnected from a community, they don't feel supported, then they're much high, much more likely. I think they're more likely to die from all-cause mortality. It is all-cause. Yeah. yeah. Loneliness yeah. is like a serious... Like we, loneliness is a very blurry term. It doesn't really mean something concrete to a lot of people. But yeah, it's like one of the most dangerous things is being lonely. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. And being lonely. Here's another misnomer is like being lonely doesn't mean being alone. Right? Yeah, like you can be yeah. cra- in a crowd of 5,000 people and be lonely as shit and you can be by yourself but not be lonely because you don't feel connected to it people. has to do with connection yeah. exactly and on that like from a like a natural perspective if you were either banished or somehow lost your tribe that equals danger and like you're probably going to die and right. so our brain really doesn't like being disconnected from our tribe it's, so the symptom is actually healthy the symptom yeah. of depression and anxiety when you disconnect from community is the healthy reaction to get you to reconnect with community yes exactly it's just that well that would be part of it and not it's just, to put things in your mouth that cover up your symptoms <laughs> yes and that, and that, All the time. i think that would caveat yeah. there i have no right to give medical advice about <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah those pills but i mean that's the reality of it um okay community and sleep so I think so. Yeah, if you if the people around you uh 
either they don't prioritize sleep. So some in some ways or some context would be like a work environment where everyone's like workaholics and they're like, you've got to stay back and finish this project. And right. it, like, that's the culture of the workplace. I've had a, f- a few friends who have had such a workplace and, mm-hmm. um, or if your friends or family are really into like going out partying, staying up late, watching Netflix, and, watching Netflix, all those things will influence or affect how much or how well you sleep. Yep. I agree. And even like your immediate community with people in your house, even if you try, if even if you value sleep, but the people in your house are just noisy all the time, you're not going to get very good sleep. True. True. um, Community and movement. That's a big one because I think if you, you know, we can even talk within, within the confines of having a movement community, right? Like we Mm -hmm. went to, we did um, uh, the Melbourne seminar cross with soul rebel uh, in Thornbury. And that was a, a community around movement. And, you know, if your community is such that the people you're around are really movement oriented people, or you are part of a community that promotes good movement, quality movement, variety movement, um, it's good. Your community significantly affects your movement. Oh, big time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that like for me, I train at stage six up in Brisbane and, yep. um, they've got a great community vibe going there. Like you saw the gym, they've got like a kitchen and like rooms upstairs for right. um, practitioners and stuff, but really cool community. And, and I've always, well, not always, but for the far past few years, I've wanted to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and just hadn't really found like the right place. I'd had some experience at another place, but didn't really like vibe with the community. And so yep. it was finding that community there that I was like, oh, sweet. These are my people. I'm n- I can now train Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and learn these skills, but it's right. not, it's not, it's not only like the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is awesome, but then you get all these like friends and stuff out of it as well. For sure. Yeah. And yeah. there's deeper stuff that you may not be able to explain, but like, having a group of people that you share values with that you literally strangle to death, but don't kill each other. Yeah. Like there's a deep vibe there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like who would put themselves through that if, it, <laughs> if they didn't vibe with the community that they right. like? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the last one in terms of that direction um, is community and food. And we kind of alluded to it, but like the community you choose to be around determines what kind of food you eat. If you're a group, yeah. if you're a close group of friends, eats shit food, buys chips all the time yeah. and just, you know, buys pizza all the time, then it's going to affect your food choices because your likelihood of being the only outlier mm-hmm. not eating a pizza mm-hmm. is low. So, yeah. Um, An easy example as well is like vegans. Like you'll notice vegans yes. tend to start hanging out with other vegans because they have an ideolo- ideology around their food. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, you know, you, it just makes it's much easier to be with people who uh eating the same thing as you yeah and who share and i think in the case of veganisms or veganism um it's really an indication of what their value set is like they value certain things around how food is produced and um, you know a bunch of things and you want to be around people that share the same values as you and if food is a way to express your values then you know especially vegans very strong value set Yeah, yeah yeah um so and even another thing with community is like if you don't live somewhere where there's farmers that are willing to you know put on markets um then your food availability changes right yeah like your community can be like literally your neighborhood Mm, and mm. you know dan butner um blue zone solution guy talks about actually one interesting he talks about he's like technically you would be healthier if you have one friend that's a vegan because that person is going to make sure you're informed about the value of eating vegetables. He's like, statistically, if you have a friend that's vegan, True. you make better food choices yeah. in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he also talks about how if you live in a neighborhood where within like three miles, there's more than X amount of fast food restaurants, you have a significantly higher chance of developing food related problems because that's just your 
environment. Yeah, right? that's your immediate environment. It's ev- exactly. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, tr- contrast that to like the Amish or something where they like grow all their own food. Right. There's no fast food restaurants at all. Like that's an extreme example, but yeah, but it's not even an option. Yeah, it's not even an option. So therefore, right. yeah. Cool. All right. Good now point. we're on to the mind. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the mind, let's go the mind and sleep. And I think a big thing with the mind and sleep is if you have a mind that's out of control, um, you haven't done anything to kind of train to be able to control your mind, then a busy mind can be a huge obstacle to sleep. Yeah. Like people go to bed and they can't stop thinking of what they have to do tomorrow, what they did today that they ha- you know, that they didn't do right or whatever. So That was me for until I started trying meditation and stuff. Right. I used to have busy mind all the time. Oh, dude, that's still yeah. me. I'm still yeah. working on it. <laughs> yeah. It's just like a work in progress. But yeah, that can be a big... It's definitely below the threshold where it's, you know creating significant problems but it's just yeah having a busy mind that's not trained or not having a mental training practice definitely sleep was i i think probably the biggest thing that it affected i think mm. actually yeah it's because because then you, you realize how busy it is because you got nothing else to do right or something like that and you got no distractions yeah <laughs> the other thing with mind and sleep is the way like the way you see sleep or your beliefs and values around sleep like if you don't think if you think sleep is for the week or sleep is a waste of time because you need to be productive or whatever then you're not going to prioritize sleep and then so you're not going to get good sleep obviously exactly so yeah beliefs and and everything around that really matter i think i agree uh next one up is the mind and how it affects movement so same thing your beliefs about movement Mm -hmm. of whether it's important and actually one thing we we were talking about on that walk was like are you is your concept of movement something you do as a way to change your body is your belief about movement that i exercise to look better i exercise so i can eat shitty food and not get fat like is your your mind affects your desire to move because if if you're looking at movement as a chore then it's not as enjoyable to move and you're less likely to do it but if you look at movement as a way as an enjoyable experience to experience your body instead of trying to change it and express your body and express your body exactly yeah that's a big one too yeah that's massive the and i think as well yeah just like being around like a lot of people with movement i think because movement's been systematically like eliminated essentially from our environment that people Mm -hmm. don't have confidence or the open-mindedness to try new movements right um so like yeah that mindset around like oh i can i can improve at things if i try them i think a lot of people are missing and so that will affect how much movement and what variety of movement you do or they see someone that does like some crazy parkour thing or a marathon they're like well i can't i couldn't do that yeah it's like your mindset of not being able to do it without even making an attempt yeah thinking about a system to get there yeah affects your decision to to move yes and maybe the as well as a as an add on to that, then the your ability to focus on learning a skill that's that's a mind, that's essentially a mind based thing yep. to focus on learning a skill that yeah it's it's a, it's a yeah an add on to that point but yep. that affect it. I agree. Uh, let's go mind. How does so the mind affecting food, and I think even just your perception of food. Yeah. Like if you decide that food is something you take in that comes from the habitat. Um, that's there to nourish you that's a very different mindset than i'm just uh, than just thinking of food as i need to intake these nutrients yeah. in order to um fuel my body because yeah. then you actually don't then your your mindset when it comes to food is very off it's like that's where the mindset is now it seems is food is all about nutrients so you forget about how like food is how you interact with the environment food is about 
um, having like a community too. Yeah. Well, it seems like it's either one, or, it's like the pendulum's either in one direction. It's like either it's all about the nutrients and you only care about that and it's just fuel and you're not worried about taste and pleasure and the community side of it. Or people are fully into like, I just want to eat food that tastes really nice that I like. Right. Um, or like... And that's nourishing. And No, as in like I'm talking like opposite end of the spectrum where they're just like, I just want to have fun with food. Like I'll, oh, right, eat, right. I'll eat pizzas, donuts, like right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And like regardless of kind of how, right. it, how it affects my body, it's just they, they only care about the like the pleasure side of it essentially. So right. having the balance between knowing that yes, food is... Food is a fuel, but there's all these other aspects to it that right. uh, that are very important. Um, and also being able to, like, not being guilty around, not, not feeling guilty around having some fun sometimes. Yep. And, yeah, yeah. Sausage rolls, baby. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you gotta in, in Australia. Sometimes you gotta have fun yeah. on special occasions. Yeah. Um, Not four and twenty sausage no. rolls. Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. Exactly. I wonder if they called four and twenty because people eat a lot on four twenty. <laughs> Never. I, no, well, it's four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. I think oh, okay, is okay. the com- how the company started. Okay. But interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Conversation for another day. Yeah. <laughs> so now, and then the last one with mind is how your mind affects your community and that that's a big one because if you are always like for example if you have someone that's always got these negative thought patterns is Mm. always pessimistic or is always upset stressed it's gonna negatively affect their community yeah right and then on the flip side of that if you have a really good mindset you're very optimistic you're always um you know you have a very calm mind you're someone that meditates and wants to help other people understand the benefit not tell them what to do but understand that you can train your mind your mind really is one of the chief determinants of how how your life is in terms of how happy you are. You can affect your community in a positive way by making sure that they're aware of that too. Big time. Yeah, that's yeah. that's massive. Okay, so that's four. Now, the last one we got is sleep. And mind you, we've covered sleep as it relates to a lot of the other ones, but we've only done one single direction. So um, let's talk about how sleep affects your movement. Yeah, so obvious ones are... Recovery. So sleep yep. is a time for our bodies to recover from the movement we did in that day. And like we said, if you do a lot of movement, you sleep better. Right. So that's the bi-directional thing. But um, sleep is recovery and also the energy for the next day. Like I know if I'm, if I'm underslept, I don't really feel like getting out and moving. About, like, Or I'll, I will go out and move, but I'll, be, I'll feel low energy. Right. Um, the I obstacle is bigger to go out and move if yeah, you're underslept. Big time. Because you just feel shitty. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Lack of sleep just really sucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that's a big one, and just even your mood. Like, if you're in a negative mood, and if you're underslept, you tend to want to socially isolate yourself. Yeah. So you're not going to want to go out and move with others, for example. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sleep and food. That's well, we know that one. If you're underslept, your appetite regulation is totally spun off you know ghrelin and leptin you're you tend to go for shittier foods your feeling of feeling full is kind of uh, all off kilter so you tend yeah. to overeat and eat worse foods yeah 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 so. that's, that's pretty straightforward with that one and, I think and most it, people would have experienced that yeah for sure that's why like when you're up late why do people snack yeah. so late at night because all their appetite hormones get all messed up get all squirrely yeah like well yeah and i've had i've had friends who are nurses and they work night shift and um like they tend to bring in a lot of shitty food and she was saying like she's generally um 
pretty health conscious, but like right. w- once it gets to like 1 a.m. and everyone's <laughs> eating it and you're just like tired and stressed, it's like bang, just yeah. give me all the cake. <laughs> <laughs> give me a full cake. Um, sleep and community. How does sleep affect community? Well, we know that if you're underslept, you're more likely to socially isolate yourself. So you're mm. more likely to alienate yourself from the community um, if you're not getting good sleep. Um, but you know, your attitudes about sleep also affects community, right? We've kind of talked about yeah. that with a couple of the other pillars. Like if you're someone that, um, values sleep, you can positively affect your community by getting them more aware of how important sleep is, yeah. um, for the body, for health, for everything, emotional regulation, physical health. Yeah. So, and there was that Matthew Walker talks about how a good night's sleep makes you more trusting yep. as well of your, like of the people Less likely to you. lie. Less likely, yeah. Yeah, so more trusting and more trustworthy. Oh, actually another big one with community is, you know, I think your, um, your relationship to the community has a lot to do with how well you communicate. And if you're underslept, you are way poorer at, at interpreting nonverbal communication, which mm-hmm. let's be real, that's where most of the communication happens. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's actually, I think the communication we're tuned in to to understanding and reading way more than language yeah right? and we and we i think we subconsciously trust that the body language the nonverbal communication more than the words the actual words yeah, yeah. i agree i know i do yeah well yeah it's hard not to like if someone yeah yeah because you can get it you someone you know when someone's bullshitting you yeah or you know when someone's lying or they're not they're uncomfortable or yeah they say something that's just completely mismatched with their body. You don't trust right. what they say. You trust what their body's saying. Yeah. And you might not know exactly what's going on, but you're like, something's not right. Yeah. So your ability to communicate uh, non-verbally or, and to take uh, non-verbal cues is affected by your sleep and right. therefore your relationships with your community. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. We hadn't brought that one up either. No. I don't think. <laughs> uh, and then the last one is how sleep affects your mind. Yeah, so, I mean, we've kind of alluded to it with all of it, like lower energy, um, more like more likely to socially isolate, like all these things. Yep. Um, Higher likelihood like, of anxiety and depression if you're underslept. Yeah, um, yeah, true. Poor, poorer ability to focus, poorer ability to learn, yeah. memory, learning. So, all these sleep is, I think sleep affects the mind so, so drastically. And actually, probably the big, biggest example that there's way more research coming out with now is that if you don't sleep, if you don't get quality sleep, then your mind actually, your physical brain isn't able to actually filter out all the, you know, byproducts of brain use, right? We talk about yes. how amyloid protein is kind of like the exhaust of the brain and every single night the glymphatic system goes in and filters out all the amyloid protein so it doesn't accumulate. And if Into you don't plaque. do that, it creates plaques yeah. and that's Alzheimer's, later life dementia. And there is insane science about this now, but it, I don't think the public really is woke to it yet. Yeah, yeah, that's a really important one. <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. I think there's an epidemic of Alzheimer's that's kind of like kind of plowing forward under the radar. And we just it is under the ra- like we do like we do with everything else. We're like, oh, yeah, you get old, you get Alzheimer's it's like, no, that's not supposed to happen. And a lot of people aren't exposed to what that actually looks like. Like I, I did aged care for I think maybe five or six months while I was setting up the product side of the for collective and mm-hmm. or like the Australian side. And then. Uh, like I was, I was at a nursing home, really nice sort of ritzy nursing home, but like the, they need to have locked doors in the dementia ward, obviously. So you really, really only go in there if you're like, you're a family member or if you work there. Wow. And so people That's don't intense. see, unless you have a family member or you work in the industry, then they don't really see the effects of, um, like Alzheimer's and dementia. And it's very confronting. Like pe- people yeah. can't recognize their daughter's 
they can't recognize their daughter or their children yeah. at all. And like the, it's, or yeah, like, shocking. I mean, all, all manner of things, but it's just, it's, it's shocking and confronting and it is a bit under the radar because it's, because it is so confronting. Right. Unless you have a personal connection to it. It's kind of like, oh yeah, well, the Alzheimer's, like, I'm not going to get Alzheimer's. It's like, oh, you just lose your memory. It's like, no, it's so much deeper than that. Right. Like, it affects so much. Right. And like, I have a friend whose father got early onset Alzheimer's. So he's in his fifties and had like a steep, I had a very sharp decline. So that within like, I don't even know, probably within five years when they found out he had it, he couldn't recognize his kids anymore. Yeah. And that's a really, like, that's a strong tie to be like, oh my, that's devastating. It is dead. Um, yeah. Com- so like completely changes yeah. everything. Yeah. So, but that started, the problem there is that it's a massively delayed mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. Like you need to accumulate a lack of sleep and it's not just lack of sleep, but it's lack of quality of sleep. Yeah. And we know that things like, um, you know, sleep medications or, or alcohol disrupt the quality of sleep because yeah. if you sedate yourself, I don't think your brain's actually doing that flushing motion, uh, you know, that that mechanism of cleaning itself out. So it's... You're we, sedated, but you're not going through all the normal sleep no. cycles. Yeah. So we need to like, yeah, that's one thing with sleep is not just like being in bed or being passed out. It's like actually sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. And what you said before, like you're... It does. It's an. It's a delayed, very delayed onset. But that's true for most of the pillars. Like you, can, your right. body can. Your body is very resilient, which is awesome. But it can deal with a lot of shit until it starts to go. You know, right. Like it starts to break down. So you know, if like you're only 50, 60 years yeah. of stuff, and then and then it sort of feels like oh now everything's happening, but it, it had been happening for those 50, 60 years leading up. Right. And it's like we wait. We look at pathology as the only way to tune into trying to be healthy. Yeah. When it's like, that's a really shitty metric because that's really far down the road. Yeah. Like we don't look at dysfunction and we don't even pay attention to like what are just healthy behaviors in general that we can do from a prevention standpoint so we don't get to catastrophe in order to start dealing with stuff. Yeah. Because we, so we, we look at health as the, well, not we, but society tends to look at health as the absence of disease rather than you know, like a, a fully mental, emotional, physical kind of uh, Rather thriving. than being optimal. Thriving. Yeah, thriving. Yeah. That's probably yeah, yeah. the best word. Yeah. So that covers every pillar bi-directionally relating to every other pillar. Just kind of like a quick, quick, um, uh, just kind of riffing on on ideas or, or kind of things that come to our minds. But the whole premise of, of why we wanted to do this and what made us even getting doing this thought experiment on a, on a walk recently was if you are, say, for example, you're a movement professional. So you're a physical therapist or you're a chiro and your lane, quote unquote, lane is movement and you're not, you don't need to give someone nutrition advice, specific nutrition advice. You don't need to do a sleep study with someone. You don't need to be a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know just a general understanding of what healthy lifestyle choices look like for all the other pillars, well, we just said how every single other pillar affects someone's movement in some way. And so if you're not even paying attention or asking about, and like you talked about, it's like you don't, it doesn't have to be within your scope to give specific advice. You can give the general heuristics, which we know is like 80% of what people need to actually nail that one. But you can also, if you have a broader understanding for yourself, you should because you're a health professional, but then you actually know when to refer, you know, if they have an issue that you've detected, um, because you might be the first person that actually realizes there's an issue with their, with that pillar of health for that person. You might be the first person who's asked, like, how are you sleeping? 100%. (laughs) Oh, actually, I'm sleeping terribly. Like, it's like right. no, one's ever, like, no one's ever asked me that before. It's like, oh, okay, well, that might be affecting your recovery. Like, that's why you're right. feeling like shit during our sessions or whatever. Exactly. So, like, being the ultimate general, like, and that really is a description of, that's why we're, we did the Footner program is, like, give 
specialists. So if you're if you're a physiotherapist and that's what you do, you're a specialist in physical therapy mm. or physiotherapy or in movement. Um, but be a generalist in the other one so that you have enough of an understanding to maximize your health impact per person you work with. Yeah. And so I think we need to have we need to take a broader look at okay, you can be a specialist, but you should be a health generalist first. Yes. And yeah. if you're not if you're a specialist at the expense of basically ignoring being a generalist and all the other pillars of health, um the reality is most health professionals themselves are not actually that healthy. Yeah. Like I was terribly unhealthy. Like I didn't have disease. Yeah. But I was terribly unhealthy. I didn't like on all those pillars. Like they just weren't they weren't even near optimal and you know I didn't have disease but you feel so much better. You prevent a lot of the 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 long-term issues that develop from that and I think we just need to switch our perspective. Yeah, because I mean people have a a different baseline of what feels normal to them like right. when you when you're not hitting like the general basics and all these pillars you might not be feeling completely sick yet you might not be feeling terrible but you have like a lower baseline of energy a lower baseline of um like movement capacity and so on and so forth and but that becomes your norm and you don't actually realize how much better you can be feeling right. through just nailing some basics of each of these pillars and feeling meh every day it is, is well, do you have a disease? No? no. Well, you're healthy. Yeah. It's like, well, no, that's not, that's not correct. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, be a, be a health generalist with a specialty. I think that's the most powerful way for us to maximize our impact as a community of health leaders, right? Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I just, it's a, it's a big changer. If you went back to practice as a physio, you would probably do it so differently. Well, I have been well. I have been practicing for the last year, not oh, right, not right. as much, and right. I do yeah, I, I do practice differently. Like I'm I'm constantly on the lookout for different ways I can slip education about these in. But mm-hmm. I think it's good, like having podcasts like these that we're doing right now that people can use as resources. Yes. For to refer patients to and be like, hey, like because you can't. That's the problem. You can't necessarily cover all the education points in your session because a person's coming for you, coming to you with a certain expectation of right. what they're going to get. You only have a certain amount of time. So yeah, you got to sneak them in and like put it on the radar, and also have resources to give out to patients for or clients for um, like their own self-directed learning. I agree. I think that's when it hits home even more, like when people are learning about themselves at home. Right. When they're ready to change, they realize that they need to improve their food situation. They go out and seek it out. The problem is on both the professional side and the patient side, it's intimidating as shit. Yeah. Right. If you're like, okay, well, I know my food game is not on point. I know I'm not eating the foods I should be. I know I don't feel great. I have low energy, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then they're like, well, I can't learn nutrition. Like people literally go to school for four years to learn about nutrition. Yeah. And it's like, well, you actually don't have to learn nutrition. You just have to know the basics of food. Which and is be practicing su- the basics of food. Because be then you really the believe it. Once, once, you, once you're actually doing those things, right. like the basics in each, like the heuristics in each of those yeah. pillars, you really believe it because you, you feel the effects. Yeah, and that's what carries over to patients. Like, there's no point just knowing about them all. You have to be. You have to practice it. Yeah, and that and makes your and it's practice. That's the key. You don't yeah. have to be perfect at it all, no, but you have to overrated. be practicing. Yeah, right. That's a great point. And you know, our goal is just to be able to create a menu of a, a good kind of catalog of heuristics available to the general public and health professionals, um, so that they can at least have access to them. Right? Because I think the problem now is that. There's so much information. It's hard to get clarity. Mm. It's hard to actually find the gems that are that are true, um, that are very broad level, 
that can help guide specific decisions, but don't actually tell you specifically what to do. Yeah. Right. These like big general principles are these guiding values. Um, so anyway, hopefully if you're a health professional listening, that makes you want to dig into all the pillars a little bit more for like on a personal level, but also understanding a bit more about them. And guess what? Digging into them more personally is how you learn more about them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is how you get better at explaining them. Yeah. Um, and and that, that just makes you even, you know, even as a specialist, um, that makes you such a more powerful weapon to just spread the message of health. If you have a broad understanding and you can give people basic lifestyle education tips without having to delve deep into a, a scope of practice or something like saying, yeah. yeah, you know, I started meditating. It's pretty difficult, but I have a practice that I do every day. Maybe you should try it. It was really valuable for me. Yeah. Not you have a mental health problem. Do this because I'm prescribing it to you. It's like, just try it. What do you have to lose? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it helps you understand your scope even more. I think having that understanding around it. Just I agree. Good. Yeah. So you can stay in your lane from a deep prescriptive uh, level, but you know, don't have tunnel vision and not know the other lanes or even exist or, or be slightly familiar with the lanes that are there. Or scared to talk about the other lanes. Or scared to talk yeah. about them, right. Yeah. And like talking about them at a superficial level and giving prescriptive advice are very different. And I think we have to, it's like anything, it's context, right? Yeah. You give a, some slight lifestyle advice, people are like, oh, stick to feet. And it's like, well, we're actually health people. We're not yeah. just, we just started with feet because that was, a glaring problem and that made the most sense to start from the bottom up but yeah um yeah anyway we hope you enjoyed that thanks for listening Sweet. and we'll catch you next week